Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SESM's Let's Talk Game podcast. Uh, today's episode is being brought to you by BNR Promotions, leader in world-class music and video pr- promotional services. Contact them today at bnrpromotions.com. That's bnrpromotions.com for your needs in studio engineering and mixing and mastering. So today's guest, James, <laughs> Pat, Patrick, Stacks. I would say Patrick or Stack or Stacks. Okay. No James. No James. No. Okay. Well, I I classified you or called you James because of emails that we traded and corresponded with, and so and then it, what is it on LinkedIn? Uh, it's J Patrick Stacks. So okay. very confusing. Parents. Dad's name is James. Mom's name is Patrice. <laughs> they named me James Patrick, <laughs> and then they just both decided that. My mom wanted a junior. My dad didn't. Yeah. So they named me after him, but they don't want to call me him. Okay. Because he's got his own issues, apparently. All right. Uh, so it's Patrick. Is or... that really how it is? That really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was a lot of bobbing and weaving. A lot of bobbing and weaving. And I didn't think it was ever going to matter ever again. Yeah. Because like going up through school, they don't like the first day of school. Like, hey, what's your name? And then you say they call it James and everybody giggles because everybody, nobody calls me that. Blah, right. blah, blah. But it's now that I'm back in academia and, uh. The folks that hired me didn't know my real name. It is what it is. It so, is what it is. Patrick or Stack or Stacks. Okay. So is there ever a moment like when your mom and you are in the same room and do they call her Pat for short? No, my mom's getting older now. I was okay. actually just home this past weekend. So she calls me. She'll be like, Jim, 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 Pat. Because she's like, she's so used to yelling at my dad. Yeah. And then she's yelling at me. Yeah. So no, there's not usually a big, uh, they, they usually know who I am. Okay. Well, you all heard it. Call him. All of those things. The most useless piece of first semester <laughs> information you're ever going to need to know. But yes. So let's jump right into it. You you mentioned you and you are in academia. Uh, I'm just going to, but your background is sports. So I want to talk from that vantage point, from your history of where you come from. So the people can know a little bit more about you as we kind of, you know, maneuver to where you are now and how that all plays out. Um, but I'm just going to say it. There is a lack of diversity in sports. On the corporate side, not, you know, on the field, not on the court, right? But from a corporate vantage point, there's a lack of diversity. So, I mean, talk to us about that, your experience, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Is it true? I believe it's true, you know, from what I've seen, what we see, um, what's portrayed, who's always the spokesperson. So what, why is there such a huge gap? Well, that, that there's like a thousand different things I can react to there. Um the numbers bear it out. So there is a lack of diversity in the front office. So um, kind of the best way to segment the sports industry, you've got um, kind of the personnel or the operations. So mm-hmm. for basketball, that's basketball operations. That's the coaches. That's the players, whatever, right? And then you've got what we'll call it just the front office, which is the business side, which is marketing, ticket sales, corporate partnerships, PR, media relations, everything that basically is in support of what the actual product is, okay? So those are the two kind of like segmented groups, if you will. Most right. people because the sports industry done a good job of this, only see teams for who the players are, what's happening on the court, or anyone that's actually directly involved, coaches, general mm-hmm. manager, things like that. But mm-hmm. those are, that's 5% of an organization's workforce, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's the most visible aspect of the workforce. So so to answer your question, there is a lack of diversity on the business side right. of the business, um, of, of the organization. So uh, just a couple numbers, and this is something I'd have to go back and and, and uh, kind of check. We did an event a couple weeks ago, so this is pulling from that. But 
there is an organization at the University of Central Florida. It's called the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sports. Yeah. So they study this specifically. So, so in order to throw at you, so I would, I would, I would ask you this. What percentage of NBA players are African-American? Oh, wow. I would say. We flip that on you. Now I, I would say 62%. Higher. Higher? Yeah. Okay. 72. 74% of players are African-American. I was close. You were not that far yeah. off, but you were in it. You're in the wheelhouse, right? Yeah. You went low, shoot low, like price yeah. is right rules. You want to, you want to <laughs> shoot. Um, what percentage of uh, general managers, the people that are making the basketball decisions, or head coaches for that matter, do you think are African American in the NBA? About three percent. It's a little more than that, but do you, I think you can pretty clearly? Okay, oh, I, I can do the numbers now. There's probably somewhere between eight and twelve um, coaches of color mm-hmm. in the NBA. So, thirty-two teams. That's like maybe thirty to forty percent max. So right there, we've got at least a 34% gap. Right. And then if you extrapolate that to general manager positions, the number gets smaller. If you extrapolate that to owners, which is really what it's all about. I mean, those are the people that are making all the decisions for the organization. They're the people with the true power. Right. I think that's another thing that also also gets misinterpreted sometimes is that people look at LeBron James and say that he's got the power and he's doing a good job of actually taking the power as an athlete, but he works for someone. Everybody's got a boss, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Michael Jordan doesn't have a boss. He's the boss. Yeah. Dan Gobert of the Cavs. He's the boss. So I think that's another thing too. As much money as some of these athletes are making, the people that are making the real money are the owners. Right. Um, and that's the business. And that's there's nothing to there's nothing wrong with that. That's how it's structured. Um, but I think that's a misnomer as well because a lot of times the the owners aren't as visible as the players, so they assume that the athletes are making all the money, but they're not. So that's just the NBA for an example. Um, the 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 NFL is kind of a similar scenario, so it's about 70% African-American, and the numbers are, once again, there's a huge divide between the people making the decisions, like who are we drafting, who's starting, how much are we paying them. Mm-hmm. Th- that does not mirror what's happening on the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, So there's kind of that, that aspect of it. There's even a gender component, too, which I thought was even more appalling. I didn't even consider gender. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, yeah. and, that, and that was what we did this event. I think, you know, when we talk diversity, and I, I'm new to this podcast, but Diversity, obviously, is color and ethnicity. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not trying to take away any uh, importance from that. But especially not the Me Too movement, um, and you're looking at sports, females are very much underrepresented mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. when, when I try to talk about diversity, I, I try to think about it in terms of that as well. Mm-hmm. And there's diversity of intellect, diversity of experience. There's all those different types of viewpoints, which is just something different you're bringing to the table. It's just so easy to clearly say color of skin is that that's what diversity right. is. Once again, I'm not saying that that's not important, but I think when I talk about diversity in this podcast and as you as a female business owner, I think you probably appreciate that as well. There, there, there needs to be a balance on that front as well. But so if you look at college athletics, this was, this once again, to me, was the most kind of like appalling, um, statistic, but so women's athletic sports. So women competing as as sports and athletes at at a collegiate level, what percentage of of their head coaches do you think are women? So a hundred, a hundred percent of the players are women. A hundred percent of the, on the collegiate level, the players players are are women. women. Yeah. How many, what percentage of the coaches are women? Yes. Hmm. I would say 27%. It's right around 30%. Isn't that, I, isn't, isn't that hey, crazy? But do you see the vibe of, you know, I, I didn't even go back. Folks, I want you to be clear. I did not go and do the due diligence in getting these numbers. Um, but I think once what you find out is you kind of get a pulse on, you know, kind of really studying and looking at how, you know, the front office and the back office on the field and off the field, you know, has evolved over time, but you know, some things are not evolving and we are caught in the hype of it because we're cheering on our 
favorite team or favorite player, but not knowing like these are some really, you know, not even spoken. They're they're unspoken problems. They're just accepted realities. Like, but I think if you asked anyone on the street, they would say there's more African American players than there are coaches, more yeah. African American players than owners. It's just like right. how it works. And then the same thing with women. You'd say they're probably underrepresented in professional sports, right? Yeah. It's just assumed, but not without looking at the numbers. Yeah. I think they tell an interesting story that probably shows that something needs to be done. I think, and I think the flip side of that too is speaking specifically to gender. Title Nine, if you know Title Nine, it was created about forty-five years <laughs> yeah. ago, right? Yeah. So like they've they've instituted policy, right? And it's still a work in progress. Hundred percent of the athletes are women, and only and only thirty to forty percent of the coaches are women. Like that doesn't make any yeah. sense. Yeah. And or coaches aren't being maximized, or like that connection isn't being maximized. I mean. I'm not saying that Gino Oriema is not as good of a coach because he's a man and he's coaching women, but like it should be rep- somewhat or even more skewed representative of, of who your group is, mm-hmm. right? I think that's just common sense that there's an opportunity there to, there's a problem, but I think it's really about an opportunity and, and things are getting better. And now I think more people are aware of it and that's a conversation today. And that's right. like step one is identifying the problem. But then step two is like, what are we going to do about it? And we're not even going to talk about the salary. Yeah, yeah. And how that exists and the d- divides there, because that would be another episode. Yeah. But I want help us understand why you can spew off such, you know, polished numbers about what the sporting industry looks like from a data perspective and on the field and off the field perspective. Like, tell us your background. What did you do? What did what did you do professionally before um, entering the academia doors? Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm a current professor at Johnson Wales University. Uh, in, in Charlotte. We're known primarily as a culinary school, but we have a, a sports events and entertainment program. So I'm a professor in that specific program. Um, prior to that, so this is only my second year as a full-time professor. So I would say I'm still figuring out the professor stuff and yeah. I feel more comfortable talking business and being a business environment than professor. But but it's allowed me the opportunity to step back and look at the industry that I previously worked in. So I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, claim to fame as I played LeBron James in AAU basketball when I was 11. <laughs> Lost, did you really? Yeah, we lost by seventy points. LeBron, did you do you remember that? Uh, he doesn't remember. <laughs> that, I'm sure, we were the worst AU team in the history of AU teams. We're gonna share this with him, and maybe he he might remember it. They, he will not remember that. Was, I think it was at Garfield Heights, but we got smoked. Okay, but we literally got beat by everyone. All that, right, uh, the worst AU team ever. I was on it, so he knew it. Was <laughs> uh, grew up in Cleveland, went to school at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Studied economics, didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with my life, yeah, and then was able to fall. Um, luckily fall backwards into an amazing opportunity to go to graduate school there for sports management. It was the, was it still is at the time, the preeminent sports management program in the world. It was the first sports management program built in 1966. So it's got a, I was just very fortunate to get in, did that for two years. And then I got an internship in Charlotte, had never been to Charlotte, didn't know anybody in Charlotte. I'm just this kid from Cleveland that shows up five. I didn't know Charlotte was like five and a half hours away from Ohio. It is five and a half hour drive to Athens, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, Came here. Worked for a marketing agency, doing experiential marketing and sponsorship consulting. Then I worked for a, a hockey team here, a minor league hockey team in Charlotte Checkers for two and a half years. And then if you are a kid that grows up in Cleveland and you love sports, there's one team you want to work for. What team is that? The Cleveland Browns. Okay. The same Cleveland Browns that have won one game in the last two years. Yeah. But that's just, that's just <laughs> like how you are. They're one in 31. And people like laugh. I, I tell them I work for the Browns and they first like, why? Yeah. I'm like, you don't get it, man. Like you're from the organization. Like, Still that day, like LeBron is amazing. The Cavs are amazing. He's done more for the city, but that is a Browns town. Um, so not taking it away from the Cavs, but like the Browns is the heartbeat for, of the of the specific community because football is like was started in that region. Right. And then 
So whatever. So I did that for two years and then ultimately uh, found my way back to Charlotte working for that same agency I initially started at, which is called GMR Marketing, doing business development, which is sales for experiential marketing. So we would sit down and work with corporations. So um, example would be Lowe's, for instance. Mm -hmm. Lowe's is one of mm -hmm. GMR's largest clients. They sponsor NASCAR teams. They sponsor uh, Major League Baseball teams. They sponsor NFL teams. They know home improvement. They know how to get product <laughs> off the shelf, right? But they don't know how much to spend on a sponsorship of a – like, they don't know that. Right. There's, like, no one sitting around that's like, oh, yeah, let's let's invest in that motorsports team. Right. What do we do with it? How much do we spend? Why are we doing it? How are we going to measure it? So they hire agencies mm -hmm. to do that for them. No different than LeBron has his own agency or – agent or tiger woods has his own agent who negotiates their contracts mm -hmm. and makes money for them on the side mm -hmm. while tiger can just play golf and lebron can just play that so we did that for corporations so in a nutshell hey i'm at a checkers game and i see this lowe's banner on the side of the rink that's gmr uh yeah so okay. that would have been me at the checkers selling it to lowe's mm -hmm. and then lowe's would have asked gmr should we do this should we not do this how much should we spend and then gmr would have done that work for them yeah, right like done the creative got it installed hosting people yeah so there's they're doing a lot of the work they're the sports marketing experts for the corporations yeah. so did that while i was doing that i was an adjunct professor which means i just would teach one class mm -hmm. per term as kind of a side hustle and then had the opportunity to go full-time about two years ago so uh in my current role that that's my focus i teach a number of classes on sponsorship marketing negotiations and some other things so kind of back to your question i know it was a long-winded answer of, of how i know these things it's my job to know it and then specifically we have um, a student population, as we've talked about, that is diverse yeah. both from a gender standpoint mm -hmm. and from an ethnicity standpoint. So I think I've, I've kind of been uniquely or recently attuned to this and then looking back and like looking where I worked and then like thinking about the organizations that I was a part of and then thinking how they didn't mirror at all what's in my classroom. Right. And then dissecting why that is. And the first step is to be informed. And that's kind of been able to, to stumble upon those statistics and ultimately impassionate about developing people but also have taken a recent focus on making sure that these underrepresented important aspects of our population um, and the sports industry folks mm -hmm. are getting additional support so that we can kind of change the tide of what it's always traditionally been a pretty much a white guy industry right uh, on the business side so i'm gonna i'm gonna dumb it down yeah. <laughs> and pretty much say you know and I'm from Charlotte and, and, and kind of giving you a vantage point of our, where our, the studio is to uh, Johnson and Wells University. It's walking distance and it's situated on uh, Trade Street, which if you walk down mm, less than half a mile, I would say four or five blocks. Yeah. There's Johnson and Wells University. And so um, and it's a very interesting area because it's being revitalized, so to speak, but also. Um, you can see pockets of, you know, where someone's upbringing may have been less fortunate, just, you know, just a couple blocks away from what they're really building surrounding that campus, um, high rises, you know, very expensive apartments. And so to see the evolution of this community, a community that I've been part of, um, not just being from Charlotte, but being also situated downtown, it's kind of you know, it's interesting to see. And so I guess with that, they try to attract students who come from very diverse backgrounds. Some homes may be broken homes and some homes, you know, hey, you have million millionaire parents. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's a it's a swath of every type of person. It's all. Yeah. yeah. And so you have that you have in a, one classroom. Right. From, yeah. Yes, exactly. OK. From color of skin, yep. gender, upbringing, you name it. We really have a 
a very diverse student population from pretty much every angle you right. can possibly imagine. And so, and with that diversity that exists within the classroom, how do you help bridge the gap, um, not just by helping the students who may not be privy to this knowledge or have an awareness of what corporate America really looks like from a sporting industry standpoint, but how are you helping bridge the gap within the classroom and letting them know, hey, you have an opportunity to succeed, to excel in this industry, and like, hey, is it a blueprint or is there uh, is there a competitive advantage of, of being a minority or being, you know, of a certain gender like what does that look like so the last point is is something that i've recently kind of been attuned to as well um but we we, what i step one is i try to acknowledge it Mm -hmm. so for the listeners out there i'm a white guy (laughs) for the listeners and viewers yes yeah i'm a white guy for those who can see me um so uh at first it's scary to talk about but you have to acknowledge it like hey guys if you want to work in this industry you're going to see more people like looking like me than looking like you. Mm-hmm. Step one. Mm-hmm. Step two is what do we do about it? Right. Right. And I think part of that is actually what you hit on at the end, which is you have perspective mm-hmm. and ideas and experiences that I would never bring to the table. And you might see that as a weakness or that you're not the right fit, but actuality, like that's an asset. That's yeah. a strength yeah. and you need to embrace that strength. So I, I think that is something that once you tell students that, because they don't, not that they don't think they have worth, but they think they don't know something because they don't have an experience or whatever. But they're not, they don't have to know something. They know who they are and they know where they come from. Mm-hmm. So if we're working on a multicultural marketing campaign, I think it's pretty intuitive to know that someone else would have better insights than myself. Right? <laughs> hey, possibly. We right? would Let's hope so, it. right? It's multicultural, right? Let's just call it. Like, yeah. So I, I think that's an important thing is, is step one, building their confidence that goes back to diversity is all those things, including lack of experience mm-hmm. like the curse of knowledge so sometimes i know things and because i know things i don't know what it's like to not know it so it's yeah. hard for me to communicate or i take that bias into a decision so uh, um step one is is acknowledging it step two is instilling confidence that they're bringing something unique to the table mm-hmm. and then next thing step three is is building a sense of purpose saying mm-hmm. that this is a wrong and mm-hmm. the only way it's going to be made right is if you guys take up, up, the, up the commitment and know it might be harder for you to do it then someone like myself because of whatever background or whatever perspective that is or a bias, but you still have to do it. So I mean, and then and we bring in a lot of folks from in, in the industry to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do the research and we discuss the numbers. You know, I, I think we just try to try to acknowledge it and make it an important piece of what we're trying to accomplish. So tell me this, talk about numbers, like with your background being in sales, it doesn't matter. Even if you have the opportunity to work with big corporate clients who can write big checks you still have to produce right and so from a sales perspective like what are some of the things you learn like from mistakes I would hate to assume and don't even want to lend the assumption to others who are listening to believe that you were just a powerhouse in the start of your career and sales was your you know your name your game and you knew it right like walk us through that I mean because I think you know, we can easily overstep um, the six, you know, the, 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 the dreading parts of the story, right? Yeah. Um, the the kind of like murky, wasn't so clear, didn't really know what I was doing or the direction that I was going, but then this happened. 
Yeah, so we had a presenter a couple weeks ago, Gerard Littlejohn. I think you've you've met him. We're going to be working Gerard, with him. you canceled on me. I know you're spending time with your daughter. <laughs> I'm going to call you out since he brought you up. But no, enjoy your spring break, and we are going to have a great initial meeting. Okay, but go ahead. So Gerard had a really good quote. <laughs> we had a meeting a couple weeks ago. Sorry, sorry Gerard. Uh, and he, you know, he asked the audience, um, what's the opposite of success? Mm-hmm. And they all say failure. And he said, no. Failure is a part of success. Okay. Which is totally true, right? That's, that's true. Like every time you fail, yeah. you have kids. Like They try to stand up and they can't. They yeah. fall back down, but they keep on trying because yeah. they don't care. They're right. just trying to stand up. It's no different in any job. If you're trying to work on your jump shot, you have to miss a bunch of jump shots for you right. to get your jump shot figured right. out. So going back to sales, I had to just get reps. I literally had to fail. I had to try and not succeed mm-hmm. and be like, why the hell didn't that work? Yeah. And then just go <laughs> try it again. I know I'm trying to break it down, but that's really all it was. I... So why, what were some, why didn't that work takeaways? Like, so, all right. So my first experience, I didn't have any sales experience. Yeah. Um, and I sold myself on the job. Like the first question you ask when you're taking a sales position as aggressive sales as that is, um, because I was selling the Charlotte checkers hockey team. Mm-hmm. So I'm not selling like, uh, an actual solution that anybody necessarily needs, if that makes sense. Like right. people need plumbers, people need Wi-Fi, yeah. like they need all those things. Yeah. Um, I'm selling like a an intangible association with the minor league hockey team mm-hmm. in Charlotte. That's about the community. I'll, I'll just kind of boil it down to that. So, um, so in the interview I said, well, what it, it, the question is, what do you know about rejection? And, uh, I've been on like 15 interviews and I never had a good answer for that because I'd never been in sales before. Mm-hmm. And then finally I said, you know what? Like I've been interviewing for six months. I'm in 15 job interviews. I've been rejected every single time. And they're rejecting me, not my value proposition or who I work for. And I'm sitting right here in front of you, and I want this job, and I'm the best person for it. And I got the job, right? Okay. But it took me going on 14 interviews to have that answer. Wow. Like, I didn't even think about it until yeah. I was in the room on the 15th. So, but was that like I'm a fr- I'm frustrated, and you're not going to blow me off, and this is my answer? Or was that really experiential? experiential? It was growth. It was, it was growth. growth. Yeah, okay. like it was just being aware and attuned. I just didn't know. I didn't think about that as an answer. Right. So then once I got into the job, you know, um, I was selling minor league hockey in Charlotte. So as you know, Charlotte is not a traditional hockey market. And then hockey season starts in the fall, which means that your sales season is in the summer. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is thinking about buying a hockey sponsorship in July in Charlotte? Someone who really hates how hot it is. The answer is no one. (laughs) The answer is no one. Someone who is like, I just want a popsicle and I want to lay on that ice. You don't buy your shovel. You don't buy your shovel for the winter storm in August. You buy it like the week before you need it. Right. Very hard job, right? So I I just got creative. I'd come up with ideas. I'd present the ideas. I'd show up and drop off gifts. I I just did whatever I could to initiate contact Mm -hmm. and then built a relationship. So typically, if the answer was no, it was... I didn't get mad at them if they said no. I said, I appreciate that. Well, here's what I want to do. I still want you to come out to a game. I still want to build a relationship open. And hopefully by this time next year, you'll consider working with us. So mm-hmm. I, I did that. So year one, I mean, I had a number to my goal. I think I hit 24% of my goal, mm-hmm. which is not good. You're supposed to hit 100% of your goal, <laughs> FYI, for the mathematicians right. out there. So there's a big gap there. Yeah. Um, but I had made so many phone calls, had so many uh, meetings, met with so many people, sent so many emails that didn't get replies that I figured out how to lead a right meeting or mm-hmm. how to pick up the phone or how to write the right email. And then by year two, I like took off, like was 184% of my goal. Mm-hmm. So, um, I had to fail and, and they did that. I was really lucky. The organization hired me year one, knowing that I wouldn't mature until year two, which most organizations don't do that. Like if you're looking at football, it's like drafting somebody now and then being like, Hey, like you're not really gonna help us out until year two or three, right. which is hard to do. It costs money. So I, I give all the credit in the world to my boss 
and the leadership there. But I just had to fail, I guess, is, is the short answer. So failure can bring on th- thoughts of defeat. Failure can bring on thoughts of, you know, giving up. Failure can bring on thoughts of this just does not make sense for me, right? And, you know, I think this is a unique platform because, you know, you have an opportunity to share this uh, with students who don't even have a whiff of what this looks like or, you know, it's kind of like classroom exercises and projects don't really lend to the real world, Mm -hmm. right? But then you have some people who are skinning the game. They've seen it. They know it. They're breathing it every day, right? So, I mean, I think from two vantage points, the hope that you were able to pull from and the not give up, like, I mean, where did that, where did that come from? Like, it just. No, I I think so. When, when we're having conversations with students about anything kind of professional development Mm -hmm. related Mm -hmm. interviews, resumes, emailing people, anything job related, I ask them like, and they're all, they're all scared of saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, making the wrong mistake. They're, they're, they're they're motivated by fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And because school is known you know you have when you have class you know how you're being evaluated you get grades every 12 15 weeks whatever so so there's that fear of something bad will happen so i guess the way that i spin it and the hope was what i realized somewhere along the line it kind of just hit me in the head was (laughs) literally every time i've failed something good has happened after the fact Mm -hmm. so every time i heard five no's i got a yes and it wasn't an immediate no good happening after the fact it could have taken months or even in your case i mean it took uh, yeah yeah, it took years of so but once you connect that once you know that actually failure is a part of success it's an equation failure equals success Mm -hmm. once you know that you absolve yourself of the fear because you know like i just failed but but i'm going to have success from that right and that's not like a rationalization that's not like me trying to like change my mind that's a fact Mm -hmm. talk to anyone that's done anything whether you're an artist an athlete parent you figure out what to do sometimes by making a mistake and then adjusting that mistake so what i try to tell them is like don't be afraid of failure like literally seek it out because if you seek it out and the more you fail the more success you're going to have and and i think some of them get it or they forget about it but i just try to reinforce that but that's the end of the day i think is seek out opportunities to fail because when you're failing you're probably challenging yourself no different than a workout like you try to lift a weight that you couldn't lift can't get it up but you keep on working and two weeks later you put that weight up like if you hadn't pushed yourself, you wouldn't have gotten there. So I love that. I I just it's as simple as that. Seek out failure, I guess is uh is is what I would say. I love that. And so another thing, I know that you have an opportunity to connect um, and create relevance for lending expertise. And so you mentioned Gerard Gerard Little Little John as well as a wealth of others. You really are a connector. Like what? Why do you think that's important in terms of connecting people with other people? You know, even if you don't benefit, like, why is that important to you? Um, so part of it's probably just natural. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not blessed with a lot of talents and skills. I don't, at least I don't think LeBron can attest to that from when I was 11. <laughs> um, so I had to figure out what I am good at or what I like doing. And it's early on from when I was a little kid. You know, we get a new kid in class from a different school. Like, yeah. I, liked, I liked to meet him, and I like to connect him with my friends. Or, like, I was trying to throw parties when we were in high school. Like, I was always just connecting people. Like, when I, if I read a good book or I meet a person, this yeah. happened. If I meet a person like you and I know a person that I really like and you guys have something in common, I'm like, 
you guys should talk. Yeah. That's not forced. That's just how I am. Yeah. If I see a movie, I know you like movies. I'm like, you, Tiffany should check out this movie. That's just part of my DNA. So I think, and I realized that at some point I embraced that. I talked to people or I saw what was making them successful in the industry and they were doing that. And I was like, there, there's that. So I think part of that is just me and how I think. I have read books where they talk about people as connectors are incredibly successful as well. And it helps build their own individual brand, but it also um, helps them and their organizations have success too. Cause you know, this from working in the corporate world, the people that have success are like the persons that are working in a, and then there's B and there's yeah. C and they help A and C get together because they bring those two together. Like right. That, that is an actual solution to a lot of things. So all that there. And then at the end of the day, like we don't live on an Island alone. Some people do. And, and I'm not saying shame on them. <laughs> with their, with their, you know, drinks with the umbrella, their sunglasses. By themselves? By mean? themselves. That sounds nice. Well, I'm sure they had to work with people before that. But we just don't. Like, I'm just, that's just not right, how it works. Right. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not saying that if, if you're an introvert that that's a horrible thing. I, I just think that at some point I realized that I am around people. Mm-hmm. And if, if I want to help myself, sometimes I should seek out helping others first. And then I think it'll all come back to me. Right. And that's kind of how I view it. Like, I think we're building a brand. We're building a network. We're helping people however right. we possibly can. And if I continue to enrich or invest in them, that at some point it'll come back. And that totally has happened in my life and my right. career. Um, so I, I life to me, life is better with people around. And if I can make the people around me better off for knowing me, yeah, with a piece of information as someone they should know, whatever, then why not do that? I love it. I love it. And last, before we close, I want you to talk about what you're doing with C. Is that like a foundation or is it just a community um, effort? Sports entertainment oh, oh, okay. event. SCE. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was I was giving her a weird look. Yeah, he was. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm glad I knew the acronym. Is that? Did I get it right? It's SEE. S-E-E. Yeah, nobody's ever said C. Well, but... But you're not wrong. <laughs> That's an assumption, right? That's an assumption. Right? The curse yeah. of knowledge. We're, we say S-E all the time. Right. You don't know that, so right. you say C. That's why diversity is important There sometimes. you go. And thought. Yeah. And, 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 uh, I experience. thought it had a dual meaning, you know? No, you're good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, so, yes, yeah, so we have our sports events and entertainment program, so mm-hmm. I'm just a professor there, but not a lot of people know about our our university as having that degree Mm -hmm. it's a niche degree to a certain extent um but there's 350 different sports management programs in the country but no one knows that johnson wells has one okay which is i didn't know no yeah and and it's totally understandable to me that's an opportunity that's the kind of organization i want to work at where i know i can make an impact and Mm -hmm. we can change that so we've got about 250 students now um and you know we have a lot of a i think we have a great value proposition versus some other universities because of myself and the relationships I have in Charlotte, another professor, Professor Longo, who used to be the president of Charlotte Checkers. And we kind of know everyone within the sports working world. And, and why do you go to college? Yeah. To get a job. So if we can help connect those students at an early age with those folks and at A, help them understand what a job looks like. And then B, maybe they can be in consideration for that. There's an opportunity. So right now we're working at growing awareness of the program as much as we can, which should raise the profile of the of the institution obviously we want to make sure we get more students to come there as well because we believe in what we offer but then then lastly too that's going to um hopefully lift the industry as well mm-hmm. if we can educate these get, get these students more prepared yeah before they come in and they can continue to drive the, the organization and industry forward which once again is coming back to the diversity aspect of it as well i think sports have traditionally been known as as marketable or or consumed by guys right like that's right. what it is but if you look at the track of all the different sports 
their metric is growing the number of fans. And how are they going to reach more fans is they have to make things more palatable to women or people of a diverse background. Diversify. Like, that's how they grow it. Yeah. And the people that need to usher that in and drive that forward that have unique experience that I don't have or to be or unique backgrounds are those people of diversity. So I think that's why I'm, I'm so excited is because it's like not just anybody driving this forward because they're the next generation. It's like the next generation of diverse professionals is going to be what's driving this organization forward because you know our, our the, the demographics of our, our country are changing like yeah that's just the reality of the situation so we're trying to embrace that at johnson wales and do whatever we can to prepare them to push the industry forward hey if they want an adjunct ear they can write the check and i can give them some diverse background uh can we sample inside can we have you come in for guests <laughs> that you're free hey i'm for first, it first and I'm, then we can look at getting you on the payroll i'm for it okay I don't have to park on campus. I can just walk down the yeah, street. Yeah, you walk. So sure. you don't have to validate my parking. But we can do that if you want to drive as well. Okay. Let's work it out. What if we do like an exchange for the like babysitters? If I can get some students <laughs> to do that. Do like a trade deal? A barter deal, call? I do not believe that the students there are ready for my babies. What? No. No way. Yet. Your kids are sweet. I'm not. sure they'll be fine. Shout out to Ashlyn and Isaiah. I love you so much. And so... I think that's awesome, but I really would like to sit in on those conversations. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But in, in in addition to that, like outside of the advertising or sales side, if, hey, students are interested in learning more about procurement or the manufacturing side, you know, come see SCSM. Like that's what we do. Um, I think sporting apparel, fitness apparel, it all kind of bubbles in together. Um, just understanding logistically what that looks like. So, yeah, it's a melting pot of knowledge that we've shared yep. um, and so much more knowledge to be, to be learned, I think, but really tackling the whole idea of understanding that there is a lack of diversity and it starts with those conversations and it starts with putting the right people in the room in the, in the, in the right um, presence before people. So, you know, you have some introducing, you have to introduce me to the right people stack. Yes. I'm I don't think it. I've been introduced to the right people. I'm on it. I think you have, <laughs> but you can always have more, right? <laughs> You can never yeah. know enough people. Yeah. But this was good. Um, what else do you want to say to the people before we close? Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for doing this. Absolutely. It's great to work with someone that's so purposeful in what they're doing. And that's why uh, I wanted to do this with you. So thank you very much. And I do think you'd be great for our students. But even really, and I think one thing that I would kind of close on is uh, going back to like no one lives on an island. If you look at your career or my career, anyone's career, it was shaped by people mm -hmm. that helped them, that gave them advice, that gave them an opportunity, that modeled for them what a professional or, or a successful person looks like. So it's people that really shape us and grow us. And I think um, it's important for people such as ourselves that have experience to seek out ways to mentor others because people mentor us. Absolutely. And it's a continuum. Mentorship is a continuum. If you're going to accept it, you have to give it back. Absolutely. And honestly, it feels really good to do it. I mean, that's why I got into teaching. It's very gratifying to help someone out and help them get a job or help them work on the resume or whatever. So I think there's so much going on in individual lives and it's hard enough to just keep up with whatever we have going ourselves. But I would encourage people that are professionals in any discipline whatsoever to reach out and, and try to support a person that's aspiring to be, to be something because quite frankly, they need it and someone yeah. did it for them. Absolutely. Let's clap it up. Thank this was much. awesome. 
This is another episode of SESM's Let's Talk Game. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And to find out more about what we have coming up, be sure to check us out on SESMsports.com or on social media, SESM Sports, all across the board. And um, be sure to uh, follow us on iTunes and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you so much. This is Tiffany Lewis signing out. Thank you.